Good morning. Nice to see you this morning. It's Father's Day, as you can gather. Well, it's all over the world celebrated virtually, apart from ancient Egypt. There's too many mummies there. Are you going to encourage me? What did Daddy Buffalo say to his kid before he went to work? Bye, son. What did the grape say to his dad? He did a great job raising me. Oh, it goes on and on, doesn't it? <laughs> Let me turn to the scripture, Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now that's a word, compassion, that you don't tend to think in relation to guys. No? I don't think so. I don't think it's, an, it's a word that you tend to think that's associated with guys. It's more, you'd think of that as a, a mother word, compassion. But actually the Hebrew there is an action word. Compassion in the sense of doing something about it. So you see a kid running after the ball, you know, and you race down the pathway to get to your kid before the ball runs into the road and the kid, you know, kids are exposed to things. That's the concept there. It's action man compassion. So what is a father? Well, I got this. A father is a person who is forced to endure childhood, childbirth, I beg your pardon, without an anesthetic. He, grows, he growls when he feels good and laughs very loud when he's scared half to death. A father never feels entirely worthy of the worship in his child's eyes. He never quite the hero his daughter thinks, never quite the man his son believes him to be, and this worries him sometimes. So he works too hard to try and smooth the rough places in the road of those of his own who will follow him. A father is a person who goes to war sometimes, and would rather run the other way, except that war is part of his only important job in life, which is to make the world better for his child than it's been for him. Fathers grow older faster than people. <laughs> because they, in other wars, have to stand at the train station and wave goodbye to the uni uniform that climbs on board. And while mothers cry when it shows, fathers stand and beam outside and die inside. Fathers are men who give daughters away to other men who aren't nearly good enough so that they can have children that are smarter than anybody else's. <laughs> fathers fight dragons almost daily. They hurry away from the breakfast table off to the arena, which is sometimes called an office, or a workshop. There with calloused hands they tackle the dragon with three heads, weariness, works, and monotony. They never quite win the fight, but they never give up. Knights in shining armor, fathers in shining trousers. Definition of a father is a man who carries photographs where his money should be. You know, the role of the man, and I think generally, but also the role of 
fathers has come under tremendous pressure and attack. And uh, it's become something which is quite a significant issue socially. Bishop T.D. Jakes brought some amazing statistics about fatherless homes. He said this, 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children exhibit behavioral problems from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated by displaced anger are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-run holding centers are from fatherless home homes. 85% of all youth sitting in prison grew up in fatherless homes. Andrea Wilson, or sorry, Williams, I beg your pardon, Andrea Williams, the Chief Executive Officer, Christian Concern, referred to a study by Professor Ronald P. Rona, who is the Professor Emeritus, Family Studies and Anthropology at Connecticut University, when they gathered together 36 studies from around the world on this subject. And it confirms that what has been known for decades, that two natural parents in a lifelong marriage provide the ideal conditions for raising children. No other family arrangement, including same-sex households, can offer the same benefits. And she goes on to say that public policy should reflect this. In the US, Great Britain, and Europe, we have assumed for the past 300 years that all children need for normal, healthy development is a loving relationship with their mother. And that dads are there to support the mother and to support the family financially, but are not required for the healthy development of the children. But that belief is fundamentally wrong. We have to start getting away from that idea and realize that dad's influence is as great and sometimes greater than the mother's. Norman Wells of Family Education Trust says, this study underlines the importance of the intact and stable families where both father and mother are committed to bringing up their children together. Successive governments have failed to recognize the fact that men and women are different and that they parent differently. He also criticized government ministers for pretending that one parent is as good as two, or that two parents of the same sex are as good as two natural parents of the opposite sex. I have to say, having been a father, and still am a father by the way, you don't ever drop that, that when my kids were little, it was in the era when there was a lot of talk about safeguarding and issues about children being sexually abused and all the rest of it. And it impacted me because you sort of didn't feel that you could cuddle your kids. That was one of the side effects of it all. And I think the ironic thing is, is a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion. The word compassion there, as well as meaning an action word to care for, is also the word for cuddle or fondle or, you know, hug. And we guys need to do that. It's not just the mothers who have to do that. But it's, it's a pressure, isn't it, that you don't want to be seen as something. And I know this, and I'm going to be addressing the fatherhood of God just now, that we are a product of our parenting that we've received. I've been very blessed that I had a great dad. He was a, he was a great guy. He was a very open-minded guy. He wasn't closed. He wasn't narrow. He loved the Lord. He gave a tremendous example. But he loved being with his kids. 
But I know that's not everybody's experience. Some people's experience of being with fathers have been pretty bad and harsh and difficult. And that will be feeding into your understanding of fatherhood. But I'm going to be addressing the issue not based on the baggage of your experience, but on the basis of the scripture of the fatherhood of God. And the, that's the ideal of fatherhood. And there are three things that I want to address today. First of all, our father is a protector. The good, good father protects us. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, I'm going to get my dad onto you when you were young. You see, that idea of a security, of a stronger, more authoritative figure is so bound up in us. The need for justice and righteousness to prevail is so bound up in us. The feeling, therefore, when that doesn't happen, of violation. I read some years ago in the Times about a laboratory technician who was convicted of stealing HIV-tainted blood specimen, and listen to this, injecting it into his 11-month-old baby son. Why? He didn't want to pay child support. He literally was going to kill this kid off. Now, thankfully, with various HIV, anti-HIV drugs, the little boy survived and was based on the fact that if he did die, the courts were going to then change the charge to murder. But it's, it hits us hard that somebody would even do that. I remember reading another story of a, a dad who wanted to get his son not to fear heights and to trust, you know, to, to, to be involved. He got, it was a bungalow. He got his kids up onto the roof. And then he went down and he said, right, when I say jump, you jump and I'll catch you. So this kid, you know, you know what it's like. He just didn't want to do it. And um, eventually he said, right, jump now. And the kid jumped and the, the dad just stepped back and the kid hit the ground. He says, now that should teach you never to trust anybody. What kind of thing goes on in our hearts when we have a father like that? But our father is a protective father. He is not like that in any way. And although you may have had some experience of that in the opposite direction, I want you to tell you that what we feel in the natural should be there, a protective dad, is because there's an inbuilt print, eternal principle. God is ultimately strong and authoritative figure. He will dispense justice and righteousness for all his children. It's going to come. That's why, folks, we need to know we're living in his family. Because I don't want to be outside of his family when we face our Father God. Do you know, I see a lovely picture in the Old Testament about the fatherhood of God. He says to Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my son go because Israel is my firstborn son. Well, you know he didn't let him go. So ultimately, he sent Moses to Pharaoh. He says, I told you to let go of my, my son, but you refused. Therefore, I'm going to cause your son to be taken. That's, I'm going to get my dad onto you, kind of thing. God the Father cares for us. He protects us. He is an amazing dad. Our father, too, secondly, is a provider. And the good fathers are providers. Jesus told a story or told the, uh, the parable. What father, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Why? Because the natural thing is if a son asks for bread, he'll give him bread. Our Father provides us. The, the key prayer that we pray, the Lord's Prayer, is based on that. It says, Our Father in, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He is the provider. Give us this day our daily bread. He knows that we have needs. And he will meet those needs. Sometimes we're in desperation. We used to go as a family on holiday. We went to Cyprus one holiday. And I'm one of these people that just, you know, I make up my own um, outings. Um, which have become notorious, anybody knows, because <laughs> what goes on. But uh, we, we'd, we'd hired a car, we had a Subaru, which was just as well for what happened. But um, we decided to go into the Trudus Mountains. And uh, it, was, it was November when we went, so it was nice and hot during the day, but the temperatures used to drop around about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. And we were just in shorts and T-shirts. <clears throat> so we drove out into the Trudus Mountains, and we were driving along, and the tarmac road gave way to mud track, and then gradually gave way to goat track until there was nothing there at all. And by this stage, I'd forded one river already, and we came to no more road, no more evidence of any tracks or anything, came round this corner, and right in front of us was another river, but it had much steeper banks. So we felt we couldn't go back because we couldn't figure out where we would go to. We just lost track of where we'd been. So I thought, right, we're going to ford this river. So in we went. And I always remember going through the river. You could feel the rocks thumping up against the bottom of the car. <laughs> it, was, it was quite some experience. And then we hit the other bank, but it was too steep. I couldn't get up the bank. So the back end of the car was in the river, with my kids in the back seat, by the way. Um, and, you know, we couldn't get, it, couldn't get traction. It was, we just couldn't get up this bank. So I told my kids and my wife to get out to help push. Well, I drove the car. And uh, we tried and we tried and, you know, we're praying hard. And eventually, we got traction and got the car back up onto the other side. Now we knew there was no way back. We, we barely made it across this river. And we had no clue. We couldn't see a pathway. There was no tracks. There was nothing. We were just in the middle of the mountains. We began to pray. And then we began to cry out, Hello? Anybody there? Nobody. We hadn't seen a soul the whole time we'd been driving for hours. We prayed, Lord, you have to help us. Please help us. And then we saw somebody shout from the mountain. And there was this two old, old people, an old lady, an old man in black. They were olive pickers. And they were coming down this mountainside. And uh, so we thought, wonderful. At least they'll be able to help us out. So when we got there, it was when they got down, they couldn't speak any English. But uh, we managed to persuade, it was the lady actually, ironically, who decided to come in with a car with us to show us how to get out from where we were. And there was no tracks. I mean, literally, it was just as well it was a Subaru. You know, Subaru's a kind of more all-weather, kind of all-terrain type vehicle. Um, and we just would go around this tree or bunch and down, down this by these rocks. And this one would just be pointing down there, there, over there. And gradually, it gave way to a track. We could see a track. And then the track became more of a, you know, earthen road. And finally we came out onto a junction with a tarmac road. So we said thank you very much. The lady didn't, couldn't speak anything, but we appreciated what she'd done because she'd left her husband back there somewhere. 
and we dro got, drove. And I remember looking to my rearview mirror as I drove away, and there was no, nobody there. There was nobody there. I still believe to this day God sent us angels by way of olive pickers. And they took us, or they, she took us out into... And it was so grateful because temperatures had really been dropping, and we were just in shorts and T-shirt. But the prayer, Lord, help us. He has helped so many times. He is one who provides help, rescue in times of desperation. I've also seen him help us in times of loss of job and income. When God's just blessed and things have happened. And when we are forced by desperation to look around for help, one thing I want us to know is this. He will provide. Because that's the Father heart of God. He's not only a protector, but he is a provider. As a father has compassion, so the Lord has compassion. Fatherhood of God. And then thirdly, a father heart of God is a life giver and mentor. You can't be here without a father. He's brought you into the world in the first place, or at least he didn't bring you into the world, but he created, helped to create you in the first place. And we are created by Almighty God. The Bible says that we're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That's how we came into faith in the first place. Father God was involved. The Holy Spirit was involved. Jesus was involved. The triune God was operating. But he also is a God who provides mentoring, for want of a better word, shaping of our lives, because that's what he does. And a good father should shape the lives of their kids. They provide a framework if we want to see our kids grow up straight. And that's the same both with people and, as I discovered, with trees. You know, last year, I've got a plum tree in my back garden, which is incredibly fruitful. No Victorian plum tree. We planted it 20 years ago. It's produced fruit. Fantastic. But last year, and, and so much so, it goes over my walls. And so my neighbors behind there get a load of fruit. And I hand out lots of fruit. So they help themselves to the fruit when it comes on. And they were the first to tell me there was a problem. Because when they cut into or bit into the plum, there was a grub in the plums that we eat. Now, I have to tell you, subsequently, it turned out to be only about 20% of that, of the fruit was affected. But it's what apple growers find. It's the same thing. Apparently, um, in the uh, in autumn, these little insects will grow up, or climb up the apple tree, and they're looking for a place to spend the winter, so they um, find a light, lay an egg in the heart of the apple blossom, and then they, they use their kind of natural adhesive, by the way, to glue that egg into place. But it's, it's inside, so that as the fruit grows, it stays inside. And you don't actually even see it. It's not like me. I've seen them when the wasps attack the plums. You know, they go in and you dive in. You can actually see where they're gone. Uh, but this is inside. You have no idea they're there until you cut it open. And then you see it. So what the, the apple tree, and I think what has, should happen with my plum tree, is you put a grease band around the bottom. It's too late now, by the way. We're talking about them. The tree is growing. But in the autumn, you put a grease band to stop those insects climbing up. And that's, if you like, the thing that protects. It's a protective band of discipline and values which protect fruit trees and kids from the moths 
of sin and selfishness. We need that objective framework that God provides. I do not understand why people do not want their kids to come to church. Because there's a framework being fitted there that will last them for eternity. One of the things I found really a struggle in the village where I live, in Hunwick, um, we had uh, a, a couple of girls who started coming on a Sunday night to church. They'd made their own way there, but they, they were coming on in, to the church. And then I met them because they'd stopped coming, and I met them in the village, and I said, why are you not coming anymore? And they said, our mum stopped us. She said, I'd rather have you into drink and drugs than go to church. What kind of thing is that? We need that protective discipline framework. Ultimately, fathers are concerned for the lives of their children. This, by the way, is a true story I'm going to tell you. It's not one of these made-up ones. A pastor was introducing an elderly guest minister who was going to be preaching that day. And he said that he was a, a good childhood friend. The elderly minister got up and he began to preach. And during the course of his preaching, he told a story about a father, a son, and a friend of the son who were sailing off the Pacific coast when suddenly a storm arose and waves were very high and the boat capsized. All three were swept into the sea. The father grabbed a rescue line. You see, sometimes in these boats they have lines, rope just hanging down at the back. And he grabbed it. But then he was facing an agonizing decision as to which boy he threw the line first to. He knew his son was a Christian. But his son's friend was not. So he threw the rope to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the sea, never to be recovered. See, the father knew that his son went into eternity that day. And he couldn't bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into eternity without Jesus. And therefore, he sacrificed his son to save his son's friend. And he went on to make the point that God's love is like that. The meeting concluded. The elderly gentleman was standing at the back with the pastor shaking hands with people who was going out and somebody said to him, it's a nice story but very unrealistic, isn't it? And he said, well, I was that father and your pastor is my son's friend. I think, I've read that story and I've thought about it. It's, it's so anti what we would do. I think we would go for our, our own kid first, don't you? But God's son, but God has compassion like that. As the Father has compassion, so the Lord has compassion. It's an otherworldly compassion. And I realized that when I was reading that scripture in 1 John 3, 1, how great, or as the Greek says, literally, of what other country is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That kind of love is otherworldly. It's a different kind of love. It's an out-of-this-world love. It's not a mere feeling. It's action. As a father has compassion for his son, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. A lady was doing what most of us do as we go in the supermarkets, you know, as we head towards the checkouts. We're looking at which one will suit best. She'd gone to one, it was cash, baskets only, another one, cash only, 
another one for disabled people. Finally, she came to a queue and she said to the lady who was at the checkout, you're nothing special, are you? And the checkout assistant said, my father happens to think I am. Folks, our father happens to think we are. As a father has compassion on his son, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. Because our father gave up his son so that we could be sons and daughters of the living God. That's, that is otherworldly love. Are you willing today, and I don't know if there's anyone here today, but I've, I've begun to feel at times that I'm kind of remiss in not providing this opportunity. I was recently preaching out and I had no idea there was at least two unsaved people on that day. And I didn't give the opportunity to say to them, do you know what, to receive this love of Jesus? So I'm giving it today for a start. Are you willing to embrace for yourself that kind of love, to be part of that family, the Father, heart of God family? Question for me is, what does a person deserve who turns their back on that kind of love? How can we turn away from that, that otherworldly love? If that's you this morning and you haven't given your life to Jesus and made him your Lord and Savior and allowed the love of the Father to begin to work in your heart, your opportunity is today because he wants to give you that love. He wants you to be part of that family. He wants you to know his compassion. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? We thank you, Lord, that you have another kind of country love. It's not this world type love. And what love that's prepared to give your son away in sacrifice on the cross so that we can become your sons and daughters. I do pray right now, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to receive you as their father and Jesus as their savior. You'll give them the courage and you'll give them the determination to make that decision. While every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I just want to ask you simply, if you would like to know the Father heart of God and you'd like to know Jesus as Savior, to take your sin away, to make you one, to be the first among every, uh, uh, of, of the family. He is the firstborn amongst many brothers to be part of that family. If you'd like to receive Jesus today as Savior and join the family of God, would you like to slip your hand up, please, and put it down again as an indicator, and I can then pray that God will come into your heart and life. Is there anyone here today? Father, I do pray that no one will slip away without determining to become a part of your family. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.